What's up, mental health lovers, and welcome to my podcast, Your Mind Matters Too, where I talk about my mental health struggles to try and normalize conversations on mental health. I believe that we should all make a habit of talking about mental health in every space that we have because it's such a vital part of our survival, not just as a species, but also as a society. Now, unfortunately, not a lot of people seem to share this belief, and so This podcast is my way to try and bridge that gap between the people who are open and eager to talk about mental health but never had the safe space to do that as well as the people who don't even know about mental health um, to learn something about it and to learn how to prioritize their minds. In Tanzania especially, um, conversations on mental health have been on the rise especially this year which is a great thing because before it used to be taken that mental health is a westernized idea that does not affect us and um, i know for some people this still remains to be their belief system and so in today's episode i tried to debunk some of these myths surrounding mental health as well as share my own experience with today with uh, today's topic before I get to that, I just want to say that for anyone that has been affected, whether directly or indirectly by these myths, there is a safe space for you to reach out and to talk to someone and hopefully learn how to unlearn what has been imposed on you so that you can start taking better care of your mental health. Um, I also feel obligated to add that to anyone who shares these myths, um, you know, people who believe these things, I don't necessarily think you're a bad person, but there is a significant danger to you imposing your belief system against those um against survivors of mental health but also against yourself so maybe try asking yourself whether what you believe is doing more harm than good and then challenge yourself to view mental health survivors as people who are just like you who are brave enough to choose life every day and to keep doing that hard work to heal despite all the problems and all the struggles that goes on in their minds If you like this episode, then please listen, subscribe, and share the link with your friends and family to raise awareness on the subject. Alrighty, um, having said all that, my name is Mariam Sumbay, and today I am going to debunk some common mental health myths. again to my podcast your mind matters too with um your host mariam simbeye i know it's been a minute and i'm so so very grateful for each and every one of you that keeps coming back and um is messaging me about the podcast and the stuff that you're listening to um i know it took a, i took some time there and and i was like mia for a bit 
but um I needed the break. I needed to just go out there and um, not be on my phone looking up content to uh, produce and, and to air. And it was getting really overwhelming doing it on uh, on my own. I actually talked about it on, on uh, my previous episode. So if you haven't listened to that, please do go ahead and check it out where I basically just... Um, going around about taking a break and not feeling very guilty about it which is exactly what i went on to do um so yeah so thank you so much for all of you that that have been patient with me and have come back and have uh, chosen to listen to continue listening and to continue learning along with me in this journey and um, I hope that today and the rest of your days, you know, as I continue putting out content, you continue supporting me because it's something that I appreciate very, very much. Uh, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to my podcast and share it with your friends whenever you are, um, whenever you were from wherever you get your podcast from. Having said that, um, so I want to get right to today's episode, which um, I'm 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 debunking three common uh, mental health myths. I just want to say, uh, first off, there are so many common mental health myths, a lot of things that, and a lot of mis- misinformation that people seem to throw around regarding mental health. Uh, I picked these three because I think, um, you know, personally for me, this is something that I've had, um, I've had told to me over and over again, these three things. And I think that um, having a personal experience with having been told these things i i can i can um attest more to how they affected me than anything else but more than that um i wanted i wanted to talk about these three myths because i think that a lot of times uh they may come off as unharmful you know just innocent comments that people make uh offhandedly and people who do make these comments never really realize that what they're doing or they're saying is harmful to the mental health survivor. So these are the ones that I felt were more, um, you know, they were, they were more harmful than anything else. Although all mental health myths and all misinformation regarding mental health is harmful, not just to the victim, but also to the persons um, surrounding the victim. Because, you know, today I am the one that's suffering from mental health issues, but tomorrow it could be you. So if you're the one spreading the misinformation, you're indirectly not just hurting me, but you are hurting yourself. So the point of this episode today is to first off um, debunk these things so that people don't say them, so that people don't feel it's okay to say them, but also to let people know how these words or these phrases um hurt the mental health survivor and how they could be harmful to them so i hope i hope that um i'm able to touch on something that uh that you draw insight from and um if there's something more that i don't say on today's episode please don't hesitate to reach out and share your own insight and your own story um so the first myth that i want to debunk is the belief that mental health is not real and I want to tell this myth uh, with a story. 
um so like first off you know how you could sit with people and start talking about random things and somehow there's always this one person who kind of takes charge of the conversation makes you listen makes you pay attention now these people are usually like probably like the kindest the wisest the funniest or like the loudest person in the group but there's always something about them that when they start talking you just listen and everyone goes quiet and, and you just listen um personally i love this kind of people i find that i absorb everything everything that they say and i find that i'm very much um intrigued by their words so i always sort of try to pick their minds whenever i'm in the presence of such people and um this is something that happened to me with uh with a guy I know from university um with a guy i i went to uni with he wasn't in my class he was studying something else completely and um we'd we'd run in, we'd like run in the same circles because my friends knew his friends and i knew his friends and so we we sort of like um got to hang out a couple of times so i ran into this guy years later he's out of uni i'm out of uni i'm working he's working and um we strike up a conversation in a bus and i hadn't seen him in ages and um you know he's funny he's witty and he he's like very very smart and intriguing so we start talking about his work and he tells me how he barely sleeps because of how demanding his job is and then he goes on to claim that he actually um has gotten down to sleeping for only 3 hours during his weekdays because he has to be up and uh, and, and about to go to work and he stays very late working even when he's at home and you know hearing this i was very horrified i was instantly horrified like um i mean i don't know of any person who doesn't um who hasn't like once in in their lives um spent like only 3 hours a, a week like when i was in university and sometimes even today i uh i i would stay up all night watching series and then i would wake up the next morning hating myself because i would have a morning class and i wouldn't have gotten enough sleep so i get the 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 struggle that comes with having only 3 hours of sleep under your belt so i instantly empathized with this guy like i was very sympathetic and i was like i'm really sorry you have to work um at such a demanding job that you have to compromise your mental health for it and then so he laughs and goes on to tell me mental health is not real and then he goes on to say that sleep deprivation and insomnia are actually um a capitalist strategy that we've been told to control us like uh, and by us him and the black uh, community black people you know so he said that um so uh psychologists and whatever they're they're spinning um sleep deprivation and insomnia as a, as a problem because um quote unquote white people are working harder when we're still sleeping so we're told sleep for 8 hours where white people sleep for only 3 and um they they excel in life and they get ahead more than us because of that and um so listen to this I- i'm just going to like say this uh on onset you know i'm just going to say this right now i'm not going to talk about all the ways we remain brainwashed and enslaved to the ways our colonizers um have you know installed in us i'm not going to talk about that because for one right now we're grown folk we're grown and free and um we have a choice to do better today than people that came before us even had the means and opportunities to do but secondly 
I genuinely believe that where science comes in conversation, especially with us Tanzanians and um, between two people who are not doctors or they're not scientists, the common rhetoric is always um, blaming white people. So think about people who start talking about issues relating to social justice. Somewhere down the line, you're going to hear that's a Western thing. That's a Western idea. You want to talk about anything that um, our ancestors and our forefathers never were given permission or freedom or never felt the safe space to talk about. And you will hear that that thing is, quote unquote, an African. And then so I wonder, right, like what's so an African about taking care of your health? Because that is exactly what you're risking when you don't take care of your mental health. And what I think happens is that people tend to hate being um, told to change, especially if that change threatens um, the status quo. The status quo in this country for so long has been survival and reconstruction and um for decades we've been trying to define who we are um and in the process as as an effect we've repressed thoughts and feelings that forces to do um that forces to question what we've been told um so we we are constantly on this sort of uh trampoline back uh, running back and forth jumping up and down trying to find out who we are as Tanzanians that we forget um, there's this really important thing that yes maybe it's not something that we've um, gotten used to something that we we know of but you know the West are learning and talking about it and advertising and, and advocating for it and, and it's something that we need to start learning and talking about and advocating for and this is this is our mental health. So we question what they're teaching and what they are emulating so bravely because we think they're still trying to control us. Now, as as a result, we are never taught what um, about mental health, not in our homes, not in our school, and um, definitely not at work. So when mental health is brought up, it's a foreign concept all around for everyone involved. And instead of hearing that this is for your survival, this is for your livelihood, what we hear is, I'm trying to be controlled. And it's become so dangerously indoctrinated in us as a people um, this fear of being controlled that we, that we we are further stripped of identity when we latch on to what we perceive is quote-unquote not ours and in this case that is a life where mental health is not a priority so this i think for me this can largely be attributed to the fact that our parents and their parents and their parents um parents <laughs> their parents parents i think that's the right way of saying that um they never thought they could talk about mental health i don't think they ever had room for that there's barely room t- to have intelligent emotional conversation you know emotionally intelligent conversations so when we are um so when if they'd had that open space to have emotionally intelligent conversations where they're stripped of their roles in society and forced to exist just simply as human being, not as a chief, not as a you know serf or whatever. Like if they had that safe space to connect, then I think today we'd have a better chance. We'd have something to show for to be like this is something that we've been doing for ages, you know. So because they never had that in response, today we fight back. We fight. Um, 
mental health because we don't know or care to know what it is because we have been told that that's our way of survival where we don't talk about um what's bothering us where we don't even sit to think about um our mental health our thoughts we don't process anything because we were never told this is something that we can do you know when when you're living your life for survival you're never you never feel that this is something you can do well you know in fact it is part of your survival you know so Today, parents don't teach their children to be conscious and emotionally intelligent and open to have an understanding of things that, you know, don't involve school or like religion or work. And um, teachers are not trained to look out for Christ for help in the ways that matter. So a mentally struggling child is simply termed as difficult or crazy or lazy and cooperative or interested in school. And then on top of that, I'm going to say this is very controversial and um, it's, it's my opinion. But on top of that, religious leaders and spiritual guides are too scared to even broach the topic on mental health because it threatens the fragility of faith. And so when when you're with a religious leader, instead of telling you that you could you should go see a therapist, you could talk about this. They'll tell you just pray about it, you know, just pray about it, which... You know, I know they say it because they they don't mean any harm, but oftentimes this doesn't really work. Um, It doesn't really help, rather. So, and then employers are focused on production that they don't care what troubles you or what troubles follow you into the workplace as long as you're producing and making them money. So everyone is happy to look away and let you suffer because they never learned the grace of compassion towards another human being for things that they don't understand so it's easy to just say quote-unquote your depression is fake you are not sick you're crazy your depression is not real your mental health is not real Uh, rather than to look deep and offer genuine compassion when someone cries out for help because their mental health is is in shambles and it's suffering so here's my response to people who seem to believe that mental health is not real I need you to understand that no one wants to constantly have to fight their own thoughts. No one wants to like be at war with themselves. And, and definitely no one wants to live so overwhelmed by feelings that they cannot control, that they end up wishing death on themselves. But it happens and we are suffering and crying for help every day. And, you know, I'm wondering what's it going to take for you to hear the cries for help from your children, from your friend, from your neighbor, from your family, for you to finally see that you can help and be a part of the solution rather than be the cause of the problem by insinuating that their mental health struggles are not real, you know? The second myth that, you know, I haven't personally experienced, uh, but unfortunately a lot of other mental health survivors have um, have experienced is the belief that victims of mental health are attention seekers. So if uh, if you're someone that's been told this, you know, I reach out and um, I'm, I'm like really sympathetic with that because it's just not true. And I want to say from the onset that, you know, people who say this are ignorant and, you know, ignorance is not bliss. And because people who claim mental health survivors are seeking attention are people who themselves never got validation and permission to take up space in the world. They are ignorant um, and they are in turn 
unsympathetic to the person who dares to take up space by asking for help. So someone who was never, for example, someone who was never hugged would often call a person who's a naturally born hugger clingy and annoying. Someone who has never been shown love openly would perceive a daring act such as showing love openly as a, something of a discomfort for them. Someone who's used to hearing bad things, when they hear good things, this for them is, is a defensive act and, and they will respond defensively and attack um, the person who's saying good things to them because it's something they don't know. So when you grow up being ignored or being treated poorly or constantly being pushed to prove your worth, any form of vulnerability may likely translate as a weakness for you because you've had to have this layer of strength that um, you've had to adapt because of the environment you grew up in. And now here's the thing. There's nothing more vulnerable than admitting you need help. And when you are depressed or suicidal, battling anxiety or any other form of mental illness, you are at that moment extremely fragile. And whether you pretend to be okay and you function relatively well in the society or you're hospitalized because of a mental illness, your mind at that moment is extremely fragile. So for someone who never got permission to show the fragility so bravely, so openly, for them, this is an act of betrayal. If a boy, for example, was never told it's okay to cry and they grow up associating crying with weakness and, you know, and masculinity instead of just uh, a plain human reaction to pain, then anytime they see a man or a boy crying, the fragility is threatened and they feel a sense of betrayal towards that person um, and they in turn call him a weakling, an attention seeker, or they go using um, very homophobic slurs against um, such a person. So if a person is forced to peel through shame and any other struggle that they may battle with and openly share this shame and struggle, they essentially stripping themselves naked and saying, look at me, here I am, whole, I'm existing, see me. You know, so people who are broken and never got the permission to heal view this as an act of defiance, as a loud call for tension. <laughs> and, and, and ironically, here's the kicker. The very same things that force someone to struggle with their mental health, be it battling feelings of unworthiness or trauma or addiction or just general struggles that could affect anyone. These are the very same things that are used to shame the person into silence. You know, just think about that for a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that. Um, the very same things that force someone to struggle with their mental health, stuff like unworthiness or trauma or addiction are, and just general struggles in life that could affect anyone, these are the very same things that are used to shame someone into silence. Now, if someone um, tries to take their own lives because they're being bullied for the way they look or who they are, they're told you're weak and you're not worth the attention, so and, and so stop asking for it. When you hear help, instead of answering with kindness and compassion, you respond with criticism and mockery. You say, "Oh, your addiction is um, you. You lack self-control. I can drink every day, and you don't see me uh, messing up my life. You just lack self self-control." Or you can't get out of bed today. You are just lazy, and you're looking for people to feel sorry for you. Or or 
you know and this one this one is like <laughs> this is the one that really bothers me the most or you last month you tried to take your own life you're looking for attention you know over and over again people who are surviving their own minds are treated as though we are the scum of the earth that holding the rest of you back um that are holding the rest of you back from greatness what people forget is that when you dare to hold a safe space for someone to share their tragedies and their struggles, you in turn open the door for you to share your own tragedies and struggles. In this case, you are creating a safe space for someone to connect with you. Creating safe spaces means showing up without judgment and with a heart full of compassion. You don't need to have experienced the same experience that I have for you to treat me with compassion and respect. It's just human to be compassionate and respectful. So people who think talking about mental health is a weakness, you need to understand that oftentimes people fake being okay and that is and that it takes true strength to ask for help, you know? People fake being okay and it takes true strength to ask for help. You never truly know how much strength one has mustered to be able to like reach out and ask for help and be vulnerable enough to share the story or the struggles. So if you find yourself on the other side of that um, of that spectrum where someone is opening up to you instead of criticizing and being, you know, well, essentially, forgive my French, you know, instead of criticizing being a dick, um, try empathizing with them. Show compassion. Even if you don't understand what they're talking about, even if you've never experienced the things that I've experienced, just be compassionate anyway. You will likely save their life, you know. This is something that I, I, I personally experienced. When I started my journey with mental health and I started talking about my mental health and um, I started looking around me, noticing the people in my life who were affected by their mental health, the first thing that I had trouble with, with, with um, was opening the conversation, was starting to talk about it. But, you know, somewhere along the lines, because someone had held a self space for me, I learned to hold a safe space for other people. And the people who I'm closest to today, like the people who I love the most, people who have seen me in my darkness and people who have supported me in my darkness, these are people that they in turn have shown me their darkness because there was a safe room, a safe space for that. So I, I'd like to believe that um, I... This, what I'm doing, this talking about mental health, this opening the conversation, normalizing it, looking a person in the eye and saying it's okay because I've experienced the same thing. I'd like to believe that is my way of reaching out um, um, to people who are going through the same thing and saying it's okay and creating safe space for them. So um, for a person who has the same privilege to see someone be so vulnerable and brave, to respond with your seeking attention, I find for me is very aggravating and very, um, um, it, it pisses me off. It infuriates me. And more than that, it hurts me. It, it, it hurts me to think that victims of mental health and survivors are forced to think that they, they have to be small, that they have to shrink to make someone else feel big about themselves because, um, that person doesn't understand and it it i'm mind blown by that um logic because when when we create safe spaces uh for people around us we do in turn create safe spaces for ourselves 
and to just look someone in the eye and say you are seeking attention because they dare to be brave it's callous and it's cruel and i won't have that so this is a mis this is a misinformation victims of mental health are not attention seekers victims of mental health are people who are brave enough to ask for help because they know it takes true strength to ask for help and you know even if it doesn't feel like it's strength at that moment when you're asking for help it is because a lot of people haven't had the validation haven't felt validated enough and um you know they haven't dug deep enough to to their knowing to to who they are to be able to say you know i'm strong because i'm asking for help not despite of you know when you ask for for a therapist for example you're showing true courage versus if you just sat in silence and uh, and and you know suffered on your own because when you ask for a therapist you're saying look at me i'm whole but right now i need help so that i can remember why i'm whole and you know it just uh, like i i i want to understand why people feel the need to say these things but i can't i can't simply because um i know that people who say this are are just being ignorant and so um take this as a message if you are on the receiving end of um of of a mental health confession you know i'm going to call it a mental health confession if you're on the receiving end of that just please create a safe space for the person to talk and and who knows you might feel brave to to talk and open up yourself you know and i hope that we can all be brave to do that to create the safe space and to open up i cannot stress this enough when you're speaking to someone your language matters a lot This is especially magnified when the person you're talking to battles mental illness. The reason I'm saying this is because when you speak to someone that suffers from any form of mental illness, then chances are your words will echo back to them over and over again long after you have said them. If your words are dismissive, unkind, and in any way cruel, then that is what this person will hear in their thoughts over and over again. and the way these words are perceived may be harmful than good so saying simple phrases like quote unquote be happy or think positive thoughts even with good intentions could likely hurt that person by making them feel dismissed invalidated or unheard i should also add here that i don't think that the people who say these things are necessarily bad but it does not change the fact that when they do say these words that their words however good intentions hurt the survival of mental illness so we all must be kind in the way we choose to address mental illness we must take caution in the words we like to use when speaking to others since we don't really know what troubles them unless they have the courage to open up to us that cannot happen if we must constantly shame them before they get the chance to find the courage to speak up If you silence a mental health survivor then you are as good as signing the death sentence. So we must remember that not everyone has the capacity to withstand the same experiences you can, but also no one has control over something as sneaky and overwhelming as mental illness. This awareness can only come 
when we leave behind the myths and the rhetoric that surround mental illness and choose to educate ourselves instead. The third myth I want to talk about is the belief that mental illness is a choice. Perhaps of all the common myths and misinformation surrounding mental health, this is the one that people almost always seem to readily believe. It's, um, it's been my experience as a survivor of mental illness that oftentimes you feel a certain kind of disassociation from reality and the people around you. This can feel very isolating, like no one can truly understand you and that you have to bear the cross of your suffering on your own. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, and so this is not one of those one-shoe-fits-all kind of situations, but I do believe feeling isolated and alone is a very common feeling for persons who battle mental illness. It gets extremely lonely and exhausting to constantly have to manage these thoughts and feelings. So I don't know how anyone would willfully choose such a life for themselves when the alternative is, quote-unquote, being normal and happy. So I tried to put myself in the shoes of people who have never suffered mental illness and don't really understand what it's about. And I tried to ask myself, um, why would I think this thing is, uh, is a choice? You know, if I were that person, why would I think this thing is a choice? And to understand that, I had to go a little further back to before I even knew I, I had uh, mental health, uh, mental illness, uh, per se. So, and I realized the one thing that I felt was uh, when I started suffering was um, I didn't know how, how to name the things I was feeling. So, for example... Depression need not have a word or a reason, right? It's not a straightforward response to a situation like, for example, grief. Like if you lose a loved one um, and you start feeling sad, you can instantly say, what I'm feeling right now, this is grief because I lost a loved one. Um, It's kind of instinctive and natural for you to grieve when a person you love uh, is gone. But when you're depressed, you are not always offered the straightforward reasons as one to why you feel that way or what it is you're actually feeling. It just feels lethargic and um, you're sad and, and you don't really know why you're sad or you feel numb and you don't really know why you don't want to do anything and, and stuff like that. Now, my struggle was always um, understanding why I feel depressed. So I find I find that it's very very hard um, to see the way other people see it. Like, for example, um, I, I find that the situation where I'm, I'm super depressed and I'm super sad, hard to choose, you know? Like, I don't understand if I have the option to choose. Like, if, I, if there were, like, one of those situations where you have a blue pill and a red pill and I had a choice to choose between the two, and the red being, I get to live depressed, sad, lethargic, not knowing what I'm feeling, and yada, yada, yada. And the blue pill being, I get to feel happy, I get to feel normal, I get to feel um, secure and, and grounded. Any normal person would likely choose the, bu- the, 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 the blue pill. So I don't understand why people would think that any person, any living person, would willingly go for the red pill. 
which is why I find it very hard and unbecoming and offensive for people who don't understand mental illness to understand that it's overwhelming and dangerous and no one um, can claim it as a choice. No one chooses to feel constant dark darkness and lethargy. Leth- is it letharginess or leth- lethargy? I don't know how you put that. But no one wants to feel that and hopeless um, for no reason. In fact, we choose to suffer in silence. Those are the choices we make. When you're suffering from mental illness, these are the choices you make. You choose to suffer in silence. You choose um, You choose to not... to to to. How do I put this? You choose to not show that you need help. You choose to not be a burden. Because when you're constantly in need of help and reassurance, it often feels like you're a burden. So you choose to suffer and to to stuff it all down so that no one has to see you need help, so that no one thinks you're a burden. So you choose to be okay. You choose to be fine. You say, hi, I'm good. I'm fine. It's not as bad today. Because you feel that's what you choose um, for that day. That's what you need to do for that day. So people pretend um, to be okay so that they don't have to deal with what's hurting them. But no one chooses to suffer. No one chooses to hurt. So for people who think that those of us who battle mental illness woke up in the morning and decide, Oh, well, today I decide I'm going to be sick. Just, you know, just stop thinking it um, that way. Just stop. Because... People who suffer from mental illness are doing the best that they can. And and we are. We're doing the best that we can. And uh, the last thing we need to be told in the midst of this struggle is to be shamed, you know. Or you're making a choice not to get out of bed today, so you, you must be lazy. You must be worthless and good for nothing. No one wants to be shamed for the things that they cannot control. So if you're one of those people who constantly finds themselves thinking, why don't you try to think positive thoughts or why don't you try and be happy? Whenever someone comes to you and tells you they're depressed, then uh, you're kind of just shaming them into saying they're fine and they don't need help. Because if you let them open up to you and let them tell you why they feel, how they feel and why they feel that way, then you'd be able to, to, to understand how better to help them. Because here's the thing I need you to understand, that if the person could do the things that you suggest they would do, like if the person could choose to be happy, they would do it without blinking. But that's not what happens. What happens in our minds when you're having, when you're in a state where you cannot control is you have no choice of what thoughts come to your mind. And the best way we can do, the, the very best way we can do is I've learned is we need to adapt to the tools that we have. So that we know how to handle and respond to these thoughts. Not not ignore the thoughts. Not stifle them down. No, try to change them. No. Because you cannot rewire your brains to change from sad thinking to happy thinking. I don't I don't know if you can do that. If if someone can do that, then then please um point me to their direction because that's that's a very hep like it's a neat trick, you know. I don't think you can actually rewire your brain. You just, you need to change the perspective of your situation so that instead of seeing it as a bad thing, you see it as a good thing. Instead of seeing pain, you see, you know, you see maybe lessons or you see, you see um, growth. I don't know, whatever it is. Just changing your thought process could change how you see things. But you cannot just flip a switch and decide to be happy. So when you tell a person just be happy, 
you're basically saying do the impossible because that's not possible they are not in a state where they can control and choose what thoughts come into their mind so they can't really choose to to stop the sadness or to you know to just flip it and start being happy that's what i'm saying which um you know i cannot stress this enough when you're talking to someone your language matters a lot this is especially magnified when the person you're talking to battles mental illness. The reason why I'm saying that is because when you speak to someone that suffers from any form of mental illness, then chances are your words will echo back to them over and over again, even after you've said them. So if your words are in any way dismissive and kind or cruel, then that is what this person will hear in their thoughts over and over and over again. And the way these words will be perceived and, and, and will be translated to this person could likely be harmful than good. So same simple phrases like be happy or think positive thoughts, even if they're said with good intentions, could likely hurt that person by making them feel dismissed, unheard or invalidated. I feel I should also add, you know, that I don't think people who say these things are necessarily bad, but it does not change the fact that when they do, then their words, however good intentioned, are not a force for good, because they hurt the survival of mental illness. So we must all be kind in the way we choose to address mental illness. We must take caution in the words we elect to use, because when you speak to someone, especially when you don't know what troubles them, you must be careful with the words that you use so that they have the courage to open up to us. And that cannot happen if we must constantly shame them before they even get to have the chance to have the courage to speak up. If you silence a mental health survivor, then you are as good as signing the death sentence. So we must always remember that not everyone has the capacity to withstand the same experience as you can, but also no one has control over something as sneaky and overwhelming as mental illness. So this awareness can only come when we leave behind the myths and the empty rhetoric that surround mental illness and the misinformation and everything you know when you leave that behind and choose to educate yourself then you can learn and see how to better understand victims around you or yourself that way you can learn how to help people instead of harming them hey guys this is mariam i just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode till the very end i i really hope something resonated with you to be more compassionate with those that suffer from mental illness from mental illness if you weren't already that is um i just want to say remember we're not always going to have the answers and i certainly won't claim to have all the answers but I think that if we stop approaching life like we know everything and everyone else doesn't, then we can definitely be open to empathy and compassion for all the things that we cannot explain or things we cannot necessarily relate to. That is all I have for today. I'm so utterly grateful to be on this journey of learning and unlearning and coping and healing. And I'm so grateful so, so, so very much to you for listening and tuning in and being a part of this journey with me. Special thank you to Alec Kaur for the podcast music. Until next time, this is Your Mind Matters Too.